Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, and I want to introduce my assistant. I have my fifth daughter with me. Mom and fourth daughter are in Fresno at a horse event. Lucky for them. Uh, but Jojo, stand up and say hi to people. Can you greet my fifth daughter? Jojo. Awesome. And I just think the scripture sounds a lot better in the English version, don't you? Great job, Deanna. Hey, we're in um, week six, as Brian said, and I don't know if you noticed, the Olympics have started. How many have watched the Olympics? Yeah. How many like better, uh, well, how many like better the sport or the stories behind the Olympians, right? Who's a sport person? Who watches Olympics for the stories behind the athletes? Okay. Who understands why curling is in the Olympics? (laughs) Uh, I'm a story guy. I like the sport. I'm, I'm actually blown away by the sport. But it's a story that grabs my heart and brings back the memories of what it took for the Olympians to get there. I want you to see a story of one such person. She'll actually be skating this week. She's the U.S. national champion, won that championship in San Jose. And I want you to see her story in just a minute and a half. Watch this. When Brady Tennell clinched the U.S. championship in figure skating, her winning program was appropriately set to music from Cinderella. The biggest reason I chose it is because I really love the character. I've loved the character for as long as I can remember, since I was about two years old. That is when Brady's mother, Jean, made her a Cinderella dress for Halloween. Or at least, that was the plan. She put the dress on every single day. Brady was also just two years old when she fell in love with skating. So many people go through life looking for their passion and never finding it. And here she finds her passion when she's two and a half years old. For the past decade, Brady has trained here at Twin Rinks Ice Pavilion in suburban Chicago. I'm the right arm. Where she's a role model to the next generation. I'm really excited that she's going to go to the Olympics. A home ice hero. To see one of my closest friends getting her dream, it's just... It's amazing. But that dream wasn't an easy one to reach. As a child, Brady struggled with a hip problem that affected her coordination. She wore orthotics for years. I had realized she couldn't jump on two feet. She's throwing triples on the ice. You know, once in a while, I'll be like, oh my gosh, and you couldn't jump when you were five years old. On top of that, Brady fractured her back twice in 2015 and 2016, missing three months of practice each time. Was there a point when you're dealing with this broken back where you thought, this is it, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this again? No, definitely not. Um, I never gave up on myself, and I told myself that if I could make it through this, I could make it through anything. Still, few considered her a contender until November when she stunned the skating world, winning a bronze medal at an international competition. She carried that momentum into January. Cinderella's soundtrack carried her to the U.S. title and the Olympic team. The fairy tale just keeps going on and on. Is this a Cinderella story? Kind of feels like it now. (laughs) The rise of a skating princess who proves dreams really do come true. Joe Fryer, NBC News, San Jose. I think it's that Cinderella story 
that draws us. It doesn't just draw us to Olympic backstories. It draws us to great literature and the stories we like. It draws us to great movies. Even the great stories of the Bible, the historical accounts, we're drawn to the quote-unquote Cinderella story, someone facing insurmountable odds and never giving up, fighting through it with a power source outside of themselves, uh, going on to victory at some sort in, an, in a quest that matters a lot to you. We all have that in us. I think it's a God implant in us. And we're studying, if you will, a Cinderella story, the story of Nehemiah. Uh, And uh, let's just review where we've been, okay? Uh, Here's where we've been. Chapter one, the walls are down. Uh, And Nehemiah, Brian talked about a dislocated heart. He's living far away in the Persian Empire, about 800 miles away. But his heart is in Jerusalem. He has a dislocated heart and his heart breaks. Chapter two, he goes to Jerusalem. He makes the quest to go there and do something about it. Uh, tons of people we'll see today were living for 80 years in rubble. And Nehemiah says, enough, I'm going to do this. And Nehemiah is a civil engineer. He's not a professional like I am. He's a civil engineer, a regular, right? Thank God. Some of the greatest things of the kingdom happen from people like you in the pew. The greatest asset of this church is you in the pew. Uh, then in chapter three, he gets organized. He goes around and organizes all of Israel and says, we can do this if we do it together and puts them in front of their homes and places of employment and builds out around the two and a half mile wall stations. He says, if everybody does their part together, we'll be better. And that's also true of our church. If everyone does their part together, something supernatural will happen. Chapter four, he faces external opposition. And then in chapter five, he faces, we saw this last week, internal opposition. There's a strike. Israel goes on strike because of injustice that was happening. Israel swayed from God's word. And Nehemiah realizes, oh my gosh, I know I'm here to build a wall, but the greater thing is to build a people, to rebuild a spiritual community. And that leads us to chapter six, where once again, he is going to be opposed. Look at our key verse. Look in your Bible. Chapter six, verse three. It's also in your notes. Chapter six, verse three. Nehemiah says, I am carrying on. What's those next two words, everybody? One more time. A great project. I believe, I'll just share it right here, the premise. Each one of you has one of those. God has put something for you uniquely to do a great project. I want you to think about that, no matter how old you are, I want you to think about that as we go through this sermon, the great project God has called you and me to. Uh, I think of my own life, okay, I was just doing some notes, my great project. Um, Most mornings I wake up and the blessed cards we have you doing, uh, that's my great project for Grand Street where I live. I just pray house, did this morning, by house, person by person takes about 10 minutes, and I think, Lord, this is a great project. I don't know anyone else on Grand Street that's bringing these people before you. Now, that could be your work group. That could be your place of employment. That's a great project. I think of fighting for my character. Uh, After I pray over the street, I open my Bible, and I fight for my soul, and I fight for my character, not because I'm perfect or even because I'm a pastor, because I'm a sinner, and I fight face my sin nature every day. That's a great project. That's a great work. Then you know what I'm fighting for next? The heart of my wife. God has called me to a covenant of marriage. I'm in it for 27 years and I'm still fighting for her heart. That's a great project. No one else is fighting for her heart. 
That's my work. That's my great project. And then I've got one daughter here. I've got four more. I've got five daughters. I'm fighting for their hearts too in prayer and through uh, times together. That's a great project. See, it doesn't have to be going over to India or going over to deepest, darkest, whatever country and developing to be your great project. It doesn't have to deploy, and it may, tons of your resources. It will call for sacrifice, but God has called each one of us to a great project. And they're close, okay? By Nehemiah chapter six, the wall's all completed. The only thing left to do is to hang the doors in the gates. And the sense for us as we come on this passage and read it is, will they get it done? Like we look at it from ahead of time, looking back, we know they got the wall done, we read it. But original readers would be reading this going, oh my gosh, they're facing opposition again. Will this ever get done? They're trying to do something that hasn't been done in hundreds of years. Will it work? This is a great project. They are on the edge of their seat, and I would like you to be too, okay? Forget that you read already, I think it's verse 15, the wall was completed, okay? And let's walk through this passage again, because we'll see our lives in it. We will. This is so true to life. I believe God has sent some of you here today. You're on the verge of quitting the great work God has called you to do. You're discouraged. I get discouraged in every single one of those great works I mentioned. Sometimes I think the darkness is winning, especially after a week like this week, the 18th school shooting in 2018. And I just go, gosh, Lord, have mercy. The darkness is winning. Uh, my daughter that stood up for you today, Monday we got a, we got a uh, call from the schools. Thank God for our teachers. We have one right there who serve in the schools, the heroes. And they're going to have a lockdown drill on Monday. I never had a lockdown drill. I thought about to say I did 21 years of school. Never had a lockdown drill. I had fire drills. Never had a lockdown drill. Uh, Jojo in third grade has a lockdown drill on Monday. And I go, gosh, it just seems like the darkness is winning. Don't give up. That's my encouragement to you today. Don't give up. Turn to someone right now, smile, and say, don't give up. Do it. I love that. That's why we're together here, right? Maybe just for that reason. Okay, what did Nehemiah face? What's the opposition? I think you'll identify with some of these. Here's the first, distraction, distraction. And by the way, I think this is the most prevalent, insidious opposition we face to our great work on the peninsula in 2018. If I were to stack up the three, this is the worst. This is the most prevalent. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, the rest of our enemies, I had rebuilt the wall. Not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not seen the doors uh, or the gates. They sent me this message. Come on, let's meet together. The word together there implies a friendly visit. Okay, but they're his enemies, right? In one of the villages on the plain of Ono, I put a map up here to show you where Ono is in relation to Jerusalem, 37 miles northwest, uh, on a cool coastal plain. Uh, Jerusalem's arid, it's up high, it's dry. Ono is lush, green. In essence, they're saying, come on to our resort. Let's play some golf. Let's just hang out and have the sea breeze come off. This will be great. That's the sense of what's going away. You've got to get away, Nehemiah. You've been working really, really hard. He didn't know if this would be a good meeting or a bad meeting. He didn't know if his enemies were giving up or if this was a ploy to trip him up. He didn't know that. 
This was just a nice invitation, a distraction. Look at his response. I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a, here's our key verse, great, the Hebrew sense here is remarkable, out of the ordinary degree, out of the ordinary in magnitude, out of the ordinary in effect. This is a supernatural thing God has called me to. And if I stop, it stops. See, that's why I say praying over my wife, praying over my girls, praying for my soul, no one else is doing that. It's what I uniquely can do. What is it the great work that you uniquely are called to do? There's only one you. Nehemiah says, I can't stop. This might be a good thing. Golf will have to wait. The resort will have to wait. Now look at this. This is so true about distraction. I'm carrying on a great project. I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go to you? Look at here it comes. Four times. Distractions just don't go away. Can I get an amen? Yeah, they just won't go away. They sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. In other words, God trumped everything for Nehemiah. Even, you ready? Even the good things. Our lesson here to accomplish the God thing, you have to say no to good things. I'm going to say that again. To accomplish the God thing, you have to say no to good things. I have to say no to a lot of good things. I went in my basement this morning, uh, sorry, yesterday morning, and in my basement, and, and I'm just saying for me, I'm not saying this is for everybody, in my basement is my dusty mountain bike. Tires are flat. Um, that mountain bike and I were inseparable for about 15 years until about our third daughter, and then we moved to the peninsula, and a long time ago when I lived in Marin, I can get on a trail anywhere in Marin, anywhere. Trails are all over the place. It would take me from here 45 minutes to get to a trail. And I just thought, you know what? I got to put that on hold. It's a good thing. I got to put that on hold till my daughters are out of the house. Because I'm called to a God thing. Right? And I took up running and other stuff. Now, I'm not down on mountain biking. I love mountain biking. And I could have sacrificed other things so all I do is mountain bike outside of my daughters. You get the point here, though, right? Okay? And I'm not the poster child for this. But I want to say to you, this church is riddled. The good things that happen in this church happen because of you doing your God thing and saying no to good things. There are people here that arrange their travel schedule such where they are traveling on all-night flights so they can be here on Sunday to worship with the community. And they say no to very good things. Uh, there are people, you come here on a Wednesday night, there are people who've given up uh, good things on Wednesday night, adults, so they can serve. We have hundreds of kids, God's girls, God's guys, middle school, high school, hundreds of them all over this place, and tens and tens and tens of volunteers. Three volunteers give up a great, great night together just to walk the campus and pray over the whole campus and look for God appointments. Now, we're going to Mexico soon, and a couple hundred people or 150 people will go down to Mexico, and tons of adults will go down with students and give up a good thing, like shower, <laughs> a bed, deodorant, good things, so they can serve the poor in Mexico. And how many lives have been changed in the dirt of Mexico because of a conversation with an adult over meal? 
the adult who gave up the good thing to be about the God thing. Because of you, this church is what it is, okay? So distraction, the first thing, right? To accomplish a God thing, you have to say no to good things. Then, page two, let's look at his next, next opposition here. Unrelenting, chose that word purposely, criticism. Criticism. Have you ever had someone say something about you that just isn't true? Yeah, happens all the time. And this comes in the form of slander or false accusation. And you're going to see here the first appearance. This is Old Testament social media. You're going to see it right here in Nehemiah chapter uh, 6 or chapter 5, 6, 6. Look at this. Then the fifth time, Sanballat and his aide sent his aide to me. In his hand was, and here it is, an unsealed letter. Most letters that were official from a governor, Sanballat was a governor of Samaria, were tied with a string and stamped with a clay seal. You don't see that here. This is social media back 400 years before Christ. It's unsealed so everyone can read it. And many commentators say as this minion carried this letter, he would read it out loud throughout the villages and cities that he walked. Sanballat wanted everyone to see what was in the letter. And then people would comment on that, okay? So here's what's going on. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. That you, and by the way, who's Geshem? We saw him in chapter 2. He's an enemy of Nehemiah. Of course he's going to say it's true, but no one else knows that, right? Uh, that you and the Jews are plotting a revolt and therefore are building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports... You're about to become their king. Now this report, and that was never in Nehemiah's plans. Now this report will get back to the king, so let's meet together. Three things about ungodly criticism uh, real fast. I want to just pull out of this passage. One, it always lacks a proper setting. Ungodly criticism, there's healthy critical engagement. Ungodly criticism always lacks a proper setting. This man has an unsealed letter. He's reading it out loud. He wants it to be between Nehemiah and Sanballat, but Sanballat puts it out for the whole public in a proper, improper setting. And then it always keeps things vague. See where it says there? It is reported. Really, by who? How many people? How do you know? Always vague. You know, some people have told me that sort of thing. And then lastly, it always exaggerates and stretches the truth. But moreover, according to these reports, now there's multiple. Really? Can you validate that? No, he can't. See, his goal is to impute motives and spread rumors about Nehemiah. And it's pinpointed. This is a, a targeted attack in Nehemiah's Achilles heel. What we've known about Nehemiah to this point, if you've read chapter one to six, and if you haven't, grace to you, but go back and read it. He is a humble man. So many times he has prayed. He's like, God, I'm out of my league. I need your help. And he knew to ask help from others. He asked the king for help. He asked for help all along the way. He's a humble man. You'll see in chapter five, when when, uh, there wasn't enough resources to go around, Nehemiah said, don't pay me. As a matter of fact, I'll open my house. He was feeding 150 people at the end of chapter 5 every day out of his own resources. And what's the attack on him? You're prideful. You're doing this for you. You want a position. And when the king hears about this, this isn't going to be nice. This isn't going to be good. They're imputing motives in him, right? 
By the way, when it comes to criticism, Abraham Lincoln has a great quote that I found this week. He said this, if I ever try to read, much less answer, all the attacks made against me, this shop would close for business. I like that. I do my best, my very best I can, and I mean to keep doing that until the end. So what's Nehemiah's response? Remember, no one hearing these accusations could attest to the truth. He's confronted publicly with a motive he never had. It's built on a lie. What's his response? It's masterful. Look what he says. I sent them this reply. Nothing you're saying is happening. First, he denies the charge. You're just making it up out of your head. Second, he places the blame right back where it belongs. He's just speaking the truth. This is on you. Third, look at this. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. It won't be completed. Here's the third response. But I prayed. Now, Lord, strengthen my hands. He takes his case to the Lord. So good when you're facing ungodly criticism. So good. Instead of chasing rumors, Nehemiah states the facts and then turns his attention to the one who can guard his integrity. That's a great posture. He prays in essence, God, you take care of my reputation and you people keep talking, I'll keep building. I'll keep doing the great work that God has called me to do. Now, look at the third attack, fear. The idea is this time to frighten Nehemiah and to do something that will discredit him uh, in the eyes of the people for Jerusalem. And to do this, his external opponents needed someone on the inside. And so they find that person. Look what it says. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah. He said, let's meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let's close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. There's the fear. By night, they're coming to kill you. Now, according to Jewish law, Nehemiah knew this, only priests could go into that portion of the temple. And Nehemiah is facing seemingly between a rock and a hard place. Is he going to forfeit? Don't miss this, okay? His greatest leadership asset, his character, his integrity. When his people would find out that he broke with Jewish law and went into that newly built temple into a place only reserved for priests, uh, it would be terrible for the morale of the people. And look at his response. Should a man like me run away? (laughs) Guys, I just want to speak, and this isn't in my notes, but I think that should be on our mirrors when it comes to our covenant to marriage or what God's called us to do. Men don't run away. Men don't walk away from the hard. Men stand and fight. We have a newly engaged couple here. Yeah, I'm pointing to you, bro. Sorry, sorry. Newly engaged, everybody. Is that awesome? Raise your hands. Pray for them. That's awesome. Sorry to call you out. I'm not even doing your premarital counseling, but there it is right there. God has given you the greatest gift next to Jesus, right next to you. You don't run away. You don't run away when it gets hard. You don't run away when you don't want to pray or you don't want to talk or whatever. You stay, right? Can I get an amen from the men? Amen. Yeah, amen. Now from the women? Amen. amen. Awesome. I just think this is more innate in women. I, I'm not trying to, you know, please save the emails, but I just think this is more innate in women to stick to it. And it's more innate in men to run away. Now I'm in trouble. 
Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But that's what he says. This is a God-sized task. And if I die on the wall, I die on the wall. Who knows that God doesn't want me dead on the wall? I know this. I will not let, if I'm going to die on the wall, my last act on planet Earth to be one of treason. I am going to obey whether I do or die when it comes to the wall. That is a resolve. That's where enemies go, oh my gosh. And see, what he knew that we can read from the New Testament, if you're a follower of Christ, here's what, what we live with as followers of Christ. We're already dead to ourselves. We are dead people walking. We were dead. Ephesians 2, read it yourself. Don't get angry at me. It's in the Bible. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. God gave us life. You can't stop dead people. What do we have to lose? We are already dead spiritually. Stick to that great work. Don't let, in Nehemiah, I, I, I just, it's just so amazing to me that he in essence says, you know what? I'm not going to let the final chapter of my life, and I think this will speak to many of us in this room because we are in the, uh, the final decades of our lives. I will not let my final chapter be one of compromise. That's not how my epilogue is going to read. I have been too faithful for too long to throw it away at this 11th hour. So close the doors of the temple. I'm sticking to my integrity. That's what he's saying there. Oh, that God would give me. I got the log in my own eye. The resolve that Nehemiah had like this. That this is a great work that God's called me to. And I will not forfeit that. Jesus had that, didn't he? He was faced with opposition all along. Temptation all along. All the way to the end in the garden where he's sweating blood. And he's crying out, is there another way? And at the end of the day, he says, I'm not going to leave that wall. I'm not going to leave that cross. Can I get a hallelujah? We wouldn't be here without that, right? Amen. So what does he do with this? In our final five minutes, let's turn. And what do we do with this? What pulled Nehemiah through? I think you'll find a lot of encouragement here. By the way, do you identify with any of those uh, oppositions? Do you identify with distraction? You must not live on the peninsula if you don't. Unrelenting criticism that comes with leadership. Fear, absolutely, fear. Nehemiah wouldn't let his, what, could happen, keep them from what should happen when it comes to fear. Opposition is inevitable. Now, let me just build the case here. It's 80 years since Ezra preceded Nehemiah. Ezra's the book before Nehemiah and built the temple. For 80 years, they've lived with rubble regarding the walls. And a temple without walls is useless because the enemies can just come in and ransack you at any point. They were used to compromise and they were used to being on the defeat and Nehemiah comes and says, we're going to do this. And I can imagine initially what the people of Israel said. Yeah, yeah, right. Are you kidding me? We've lived 80 years with this rubble. And you think you're going to do this? The wall's never been built to this point. I wonder, it's a good question to ponder, what rubble have you settled with in your life? I've always been like that. Always had an anger problem. I'm never going to be the wife or husband God wants me to be. I'm just not a prayer warrior. I just don't like to read. I can't read my Bible. I'm just too busy. I get so distracted. That's just how I am. Please, 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 please. I am here as a, as a humble servant of Jesus Christ standing before this huge cross to say, 
That kind of comment doesn't weigh or hold any weight in front of God, in front of the Bible, in front of the empty tomb, in front of the empty cross. Amen. You can do this. Your past doesn't have to be a predictor of your future. That's why we gather every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Can I get an amen? Come on, gosh, wow. Okay, here we go. I'm not saying wow because you're not amening me, but I'm going, wow, that's so good. Here's what got Nehemiah through. I better stop. I'll keep us here for an hour. Uh, here's the first, a compelling purpose. And by the way, all of these got Jesus through too. A compelling purpose. Look what he says. I'm carrying on a great, a great work. When you identify your compelling purpose, what only you can do, that if you don't do it, no one else is doing it. And I gave you a great list to start with. Um, you go, man, this gets me. It doesn't drive you. Don't miss this. It draws you. It draws you. It drew, it drew me out of bed this morning. Like when, when the alarm went off early in the morning and I was with Pastor Pillow in the Church of the Holy Sheets, my great work drew me out of bed to my prayer closet to fight for my character and fight for my soul and then fight for my girls and fight for you and fight for this city. Okay, I'm not saying that because I'm any better than any of you, but uh, you can tie... She thinks I'm better than you, don't you, Jojo? Um, you know it's a great work when you can tie it to two greats. Don't miss this. The great commandment and the great commission. Okay? That's what makes a work great. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Now look, you don't have to leave what you're doing to tie what you do to the great commandment. When you just say, you know, I'm going to pick on this row, but let's say your management of Costco got your attention. You can tie that to the great commandment and say, I'm going to treat my employees in a way that no manager at Costco does. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to give them above service. I'm going to give them grace and truth. And then the great commission, which is uh, make disciples ta ethne of all the nations. We are saying, God, let what I do here reach around the world through my resources, through my time, through the people. And we live in the greatest place where the world's coming to us. Right? We don't need to go far off. Some of us will. But the world's coming to us. And with technology, we can get to the world. So your ordinary life can easily be tied and become great, tied to the great commandment, great commission. i got to hurry up. A clear perception. He had divine insight throughout this. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 9. You can see he saw circumstance, but he had a way of seeing through circumstance to what was going on behind the circumstance. And again, as New Testament followers of Christ, looking back, we have this through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when he opened the Bible in Luke 5, the Torah, I've come to give sight to the blind. We have divine insight. We can have this. And then a continual trialogue. He's constantly praying. He's constantly, continually praying. We see that throughout the book. I want to say, look at, uh, do we have Luke 18.1 in there? Look at the next verse. Is it in the next slide that I put it in there? No. Okay. Luke 18, 1 says this. Oh, it's in your notes. Look what it says. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them to always pray, circle that in your notes, and not give up. Circle that in your notes. The two are correlated. Always pray helps you never give up. And that's why Jesus taught us that. And then lastly, courageous persistence. The ability to keep on keeping on. And why do we need this? Because our enemy and I'm not talking about human, I'm talking spiritual now, always keeps on keeping on. 
We are in a battlefield. I'd hate to burst our bubbles, but I'm here to tell you the truth. We have a love affair with Jesus. I pray we have a love affair with each other on a battlefield where the bullets are real and the enemies are real. And I find my longing uh, at times to sleep in when my alarm goes off and I'm called to my great work is really a deeper, behind it is a deep longing for heaven one day. The 10 different colors we have on our walls in our house It's our longing for heaven. My garden and however neat I keep it, it's a longing for heaven. We're not there yet. And I love this. Four times, look at verse four. They sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. We're gonna close with this. Each time I gave them the same answer. Here's what I wanna ask you. I think this will give you a lot of value as you fight your enemies, spiritually especially. You ready? What's your same answer? I'll give you mine. It's been my same answer for about 30 years. Two words. You've heard me say it often from here. Here's my same answer. That day. That day. This this is unique to me. You get your unique answer. But I remember when I was called to a great thing. I was working for my dad's company at a small company based in Oakland. There's a lot of patriarchy in our Italian home. And dad had planned for me to work in his company. And I didn't, wanna, I didn't want to uh, disobey. That's how I saw it, my father and disappoint him. But God had called me to this. What was I gonna do? And God put on me and impressed on me. Well, let me ask you this. What do you want your father knowing on that day when he faces me? that you compromised because you feared him or that you obeyed me and hurt him because you feared me. And it's that day, the realization, one day I will face God in light of that day, what will I do today? That is my same answer that has drugged me through all the opposition and all the hard times. When I'm at my worst, when it's challenging, when I uh, have conflict and other things and compromise in my character, my same answer is, but on that day, what will I wish I've done? It's what's called me to this church when there were options out of seminary. It's what called me to seminary. It's what's kept me here for 21 years because God's hand has been staying me here that day that day. Now look, that's my same answer. You find yours. When compromise comes and you want to stop the great work, when you want to give in, even at the 11th hour, because you've been going so hard and it seems like the darkness is winning, you take your same answer and you put it before your spiritual enemies and you put it before God and you always pray and you never give up. Somebody better give me an amen right now or you will get through, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So what happened? Look at the final two verses. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. The wall was completed in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this and the surrounding nations, they were afraid and they lost their self-confidence. Literally, literally in the Hebrew, they fell in their own eyes. They shrunk as enemies in the Hebrew. I love that because they realize that this was a God work. I don't know if I only have 80 years, my, my year I pray is 74, but if I have 80 years, 85 years, whatever with the Lord, I want my one and only life to count for a great work. Don't you?
What we've learned to this point, we all have one. It will be opposed. I pray today you have the strength and the resources to tether you to the Lord Jesus Christ and pull you through. And I want to say this pastor to person. Everyone look to me, please, and we'll pray. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit fighting. It's worth it. And one day, on that day, we'll be around and we'll know it's worth it. I'm here to tell you right now, it's worth it. So fight for your character. Fight for relationships. Fight for that great work that God has called you to do. Amen? Father, I pray right now for that person sitting in the rubble that feels like giving up. They came here doubting. They're here. That's the victory. But they were wondering, do I have what it takes? And I just want to speak over them right now in light of the empty cross, in light of the empty tomb, regardless of where they are spiritually. Yes, you have what it takes. God has called you to this great work. He put it on your heart. Lord, we don't want to be hearers. We want to be doers. And we want to be sensitive to those sitting in the rubble for whatever reason who are hurting, who are saying, I can't do it alone. That's why they're here. I pray before this day ends, a loving, godly, supernatural divine appointment would take place. Horizontally, we'd be the church. We'd always be sensitive to that. Jesus, thank you for the great work that you came to. That You never gave up. You resolutely set out for the cross. You were born to die and nothing dissuaded you from it. We look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before you, you scorned the shame of the cross and you sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. We love you. Give us your strength. Give us your strength. Just pray that right now. Give me your strength. Pray for the person to your right. Bless them with strength. Pray for the person on your left. Bless them with strength. Oh, we love you. All boils down to it. It's what it's all about. You loving us and us responding with, we love you. Pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.